Welcome to Taking Notes with NextGen Venture Partners, where we have interesting conversations with entrepreneurs and innovators in the NextGen investing ecosystem. I'm your host, Dan Mindis. We hope you enjoy the discussion. My guests today are Nick Bonfiglio and Nilesh Shastri. Nick and Nilesh rose together at Marketo, the marketing automation company, which sold to Adobe for about $5 billion. Nick ran product there, and Nilesh was a star engineer. The two attribute part of the success of Marketo to linking their marketing automation to CRMs and making sure that the underlying data between the sales and the marketing software were consistent across those applications. But since the sale of Marketo, they noticed that there was inconsistent data across enterprises as a broad problem, really plaguing businesses. And they started Syncory to address that problem. NextGen led their seed round in the spring of 2019. We're now talking in the spring of 2020, as the company has gone from an idea to a product out in the marketplace. Here are Nick and Nilesh to talk about Syncory. Nick and Nilesh, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks, Dan. Nick, let's start with you. You were a senior executive at Marketo uh, through some pretty spectacular growth there. Uh, Give us the highlights of that experience. Oh, I mean, Marketo was a wonderful experience. I mean, it was hard. You know, I, I was there from employee, you know, 25, 26 or so through, you know, through the growth. From, and that was about a 3 million AR when I got there roughly. And we exited, I exited Marketo when we were uh, 300 million shortly after the acquisition of Vista, which was great. So it went through the whole IPO, saw the company grow from, you know, 25 people to over 2,000 and just was incredible to see the kind of people that we had at Marketo that were able to work together to build something that I, I consider to this day to be very special and hard to replicate. So just just overall a great experience. And, you know, Phil Fernandez, who is the uh, CEO and founder there, um, is very close to us still. And I just always use him as like a barometer for, you know, are, are we on the right track? Are we doing the right things? Not, not that every company has to follow the same path, but just just to sort of, you know, get an echo of what it was like for him during that time, even though times were different back then. But overall, it was just a wonderful experience um, from that perspective. It's probably the hardest job I ever had in my entire life. And Nick, just as a follow-up, I imagine your role evolved as the company grew. So can you talk yeah. about what your areas of responsibility were and how that changed over time? Yeah, I initially joined to run the the SaaS operations side of the company. That Marketo had experienced some early growth, but didn't really know how to run an at scale um, SaaS business. And so I came in to sort of help rejigger, you know, the platform, um, the infrastructure, and all of the things that came along with you know doing the release part of it and things like that that everybody overlooks when you're first building a company. And then from there, you know, Phil and I had. A good relationship, and for the last three or four years at Marketo, I took over. He asked me to take over the entire product organization, which at that point was engineering operations, product management. Um, then I took on the support team. So all in all, at the end, I had probably 600 people or about a third of the company on in my team, and so it was just incredible to experience the growth from all of those perspectives. Nilesh, a uh, similar question for you. Tell us about your experience at Marketo and also how you and Nick overlapped. So I guess I joined Marketo when Marketo was, you can call it uh, in a teenager phase, if you will, uh, you know, making transition from, uh, you know, uh, being a startup uh, into a, a somewhat larger organization. 
uh, engineering was uh, you know just growing uh, significantly uh, when I joined in 2011, I think. And I started as a software engineer and, you know, uh, grew into the company as the company was growing. Uh, you know, my trajectory inside the company was also growing. Uh, you know, I went through the IPO, uh, went through the Vista acquisition with Nick. Uh, Nick left at that point and uh, I uh, carried on uh, all the way up to the Adobe acquisition. I was, uh, I started as a software engineer there and uh, I transitioned into the platform teams, I transitioned into the architecture team and eventually led some of the very large data platform initiatives uh, at Marketo. Uh, this is uh, this was the period of time where Nick and I had a, a lot of overlap and collaboration. Uh, this is when uh, Nick was leading uh, pretty much all of product support and uh, infrastructure. And uh, we were building the platform side of the uh, equation uh, over there. Nilesh is being a bit humble here, Dan, too, because he was, I'd say, one of the better technical minds that was at Marketo during our, our huge growth phase. Thank you, Nick. Were there particular projects in which you guys interacted on specifically, or what was the engagement like? I think in the initial days, uh, uh, Nick was owning uh, all of infrastructure at Marketo, uh, the, the SaaS side of uh, the equation. And uh, the coordination efforts between development teams and infrastructure and, you know, making sure that we were all on the same page, uh, that was one of the priorities for uh, both of us during those days. And as uh, Nick took over uh, the entire organization, uh, I basically reported to him. And uh, we worked a lot on uh, Project Orion, uh, which was the data transformation project at Marketo upgrading technology in various areas uh, uh, around streaming, uh, how do we handle large volumes of data and so forth. So that was the focus of most of our uh, collaboration there. Uh, Nick, back to you. Uh, tell us about uh, this, the idea for Syncery. What was the, the spark that got you started on this? Yeah, that's an interesting one. Uh, so about uh, January of, of 2019, I was talking to someone and they were complaining about how, you know, horrible the data in their business was and how they had all these different issues with, um, you know, bad data, bad emails, all kinds of different things that they were talking about. And they tried all kinds of different things. And I started going like, gosh, it's, it's like, it's, you know, 2019, no one solved these data problems for companies yet. And uh, coincidentally, Phil was uh, coming into town and uh, we, we decided to, uh, get together for lunch. And I sort of pitched them this idea that I had in my head of why I thought a lot of these things were happening. And um, and if, if there's a little bit of backstory here that one of the things that propelled Marketo's success in the marketplace was the sync engine that we had between CRM and marketing automation. And it made it to where the mere mortal in sales and marketing can work together to make those systems work together. But we didn't tackle the data problems that people were having still. And so, you know, fast forward, I was, I was going like, why don't any of the integration platforms ever consider data as part of their responsibility? And so when I was talking to Phil, I, I kind of floated the idea of, you know, taking kind of the learnings from Marketo Sync Engine and applying some of the advanced things that I had in my head at the time and just pitched them on on what essentially is now Syncery um, at the time. And he was like, oh, gosh, this is super hard problem to solve. Like, you know, you know, anyway, so the fact that he said that made me even more wanting to explore it. And so a lot of it came from the fact that Phil was was really uh, 
you know, making it seem like this is almost an impossible product to go build made me even more uh, want to do it. And so, you know, what happened next was I, you know, I, I had this rudimentary idea of what is now Syncury. And I went to Nilesh, I called Nilesh, who was the, you know, one of the best tech guys that I know and said, Hey, Nilesh, what do you think of this? I mean, can you do me a favor and poke holes in this? Because I have no idea why no one's doing this yet. And, and so, you know, he's had it for a month in his head, I think, and I'll let him answer here what his side of the uh, equation was. But overall, he came back about a month later, let's call it February or mid-February. I had already had another lunch with Phil, um, double-clicking a little bit on the architecture. And and Milesh came back and says, you know what, Nick? Um, I think this is very interesting and very different than anything else in the marketplace. And so, I don't know, Milesh, if you want to add to that, but um, that's kind of was what it felt like from my side. Yeah, yeah. No, I'd love to hear your side. Yeah, and when uh, Nick reached out to me, uh, it felt and uh, I heard it as if it was uh, yet another you know integration uh, idea and uh, as you know there are tons and tons of players in that world uh, you know claiming to solve this problem so I was not all that convinced you know when he pitched uh, the idea to me uh, and then I you know we went back and forth I asked him a lot of questions and you know I did my research on what's the current state uh, what's the state of the art today in this uh, domain and then uh, let's go uh, try and see if we can uh, either improve it or uh, at least convince ourselves that we are doing something radically different. And as I started peeling the layers of this onion, I you know understand, I understood, and I came to the realization that this is something different. Uh, you know, it may look the same, it may uh, sound the same, but it is radically different from what's out there uh, today, and it's going to solve. A completely different set of problems, and you know, bring a new perspective to how we manage uh, synchronization. So that's the point uh, where I was, uh, you know, in, and I told Nick that, hey, yes, uh, this is something that uh, we can build a really large uh, business around, and I'm all in. So, Nilesh, with Phil's point out there, of gosh, this is a really hard problem. Was there an aha moment for you when you said, you know, what we can actually build this? How did you? get to the point where, you know, you said, I'm going to take the plunge, you know, start a company and with confidence that that will be successful here. So there were a couple of things there. So one was, you know, around the viability uh, as a business, so, you know, in terms of product, you know, uh, let's forget the technical details for a second and then see if we were to somehow build this, uh, would people be excited and interesting, uh, uh, interested in, in the product? Uh, you know, my gut told me at that point in time that, hey, yes, Compared to what's out there, I think if we pull this off, then there's going to be a lot of interest. So that was out of the way, uh, you know, right away, uh, because I was convinced that uh, this is going to be a product that's going to be, uh, you know, great and loved by uh, customers. The second aspect of uh, it was, what does it really take to build a system like this? And, you know, as we keep talking about this, uh, this is truly, you know, technically speaking, a multi-master database synchronization uh, problem, right? So... Think of this as a Google spreadsheet where you know many people are editing the same spreadsheet at the same time. A lot of complex uh, you know technical things happen to make sure that everything is in uh, you know sync and then making sure that one stages are not lost uh, by uh, another, right? So uh, the problem is really hard, uh, but uh, it's also a business oriented uh, set of applications that we are looking at, not really actual databases. So that gave us some leeway to come up with an architecture where uh, you know we said, okay, 
let's talk about how databases work and then try and apply some of the principles uh, uh, from that world into the world of business applications. And the core concept was around transactions and how every database has a transaction log of sorts. And uh, that was the basis of uh, you know building the core architecture of uh, Syncary. And to me, that was the aha moment saying that, okay, I can draw a parallel from the world of databases uh, into the world of applications. And uh, if we can pull that off, uh, in our architecture, then we have a good solution there. It's uh, Dan, just, just to add to that a little bit, I mean, uh, we actually, this multi-master, what we call multi-directional synchronization, is such a hard problem to solve. We actually have a patent that we filed on it. And uh, so that was the part that that is really hard to do. This ability to have a unified transaction log of everything that's happened across all the connected systems to be able to operate on that data as it's in flight is very very hard and very different than anything else. So Nick, question for you. Nilesh mentioned, I, I think he's right. And as, as certainly as an investor in, in Syncury, I'd agree that there'll be significant demand for solving this data problem in the enterprise. How did you go from the original insight to figuring out where that demand would come from, who the buyers would be at organizations, honing your feature set and so forth? Yeah, that's a great question because uh, early on, um, I had been talking to as many people as I could about the state of data in their organizations. And I spent a little bit of time talking to a lot of IT folks in that in that early part of the discussion and um, definitely realized that there was this huge problem there that everyone kept coming up with the same kind of things that they were grappling with. But uh, when, when we started getting further along, we started realizing that, look, the business users themselves are actually the ones that are suffering the most from this data problem. And so I, as I was doing my research, not just of talking to people and interviewing people around the problem, but also looking a- across the, the, you know, the, the Internet for information around these kinds of problems, you know, I found a few articles from MIT and from uh, Gartner that sort of started pointing me in the direction or us at the direction of, hey, the, to make this work, we really need to figure out how to make the business user that is suffering with these problems in control of their own destiny. And so Nilesh and I talked and we sort of, uh, before we even started the company, had a little bit of a pivot as a result of all those conversations we had, where it's like, hey, let's target the leaders and revenue teams to go solve the problems for them and build something that, that I call citizen integrators that are the business users inside of businesses that are trying to solve these data problems across their SaaS applications. So, so that's kind of um, a long way of saying, like we started off thinking we were doing one thing, we interviewed a lot of people, and then we ended up really adjusting to what we saw happening in the marketplace as where the puck was going to be. So in other words, we're building the product for what we think the puck's going to be, not where it currently is today is another way to say it. So Nilesh, maybe you could flesh out where you think the puck is going to be. <laughs> That's equivalent to having a crystal ball, uh, if you uh, if you will. Uh, but my hunch is that uh, the the personas that we're targeting uh, it's an emerging trend. Uh, you know uh, what what we found was that IT actually owns the technology projects uh, to enable these business owners, but they're not the team that really understands the real problems, and they're not the ones who own the responsibility of making sure that. All of these things are actually working in tandem because uh, they are technologists and uh, they not don't necessarily always understand uh, you know what data quality really means in the context of uh, you know uh, the business. 
So the business users are primarily the ones who fully understand it, but to actually define these policies and make sure that the required controls are in place, there's no system, there's no tool out there that allows the business users to do that. So this is an emerging trend that uh, you know uh, we keep seeing and it's uh, only increasing. And that was the hypothesis that we started with. And nine months down the line, uh, we see that more and more of that hypothesis is uh, being validated. Uh, by our you know prospects and uh, customers so uh, we firmly believe that that's the right uh, you know uh, direction to go into and uh, there are tons of things that we want to do in this area uh, this is just the beginning for uh, Syncary. nick nilesh just mentioned a nine month time period i'd love if we can lengthen that and, and look forward maybe nine years from now you know where Syncary is what's your long-term vision yeah, I mean, we're taking this in stair step because we are building something hard. So the first problem we, you know, if you took the, the long-term vision, we broke it down into chunks. And the first chunk that we're that we call Syncery is solving this data management problem uh, by providing this unified data model across everything going on in your enterprise. And I'll just add one more thing to the last. I mean, what we saw happening as SaaS emerged as a leader is all the analysts that used to be in IT have floated into the operational teams uh, inside of businesses and they've become administrators or analysts inside of those respective teams. So it made sense that all the integration and management of that data is going to go into that. But our long-term vision, and without throwing out any, any vendor names here, is what we saw more than anything is that CRM was somehow becoming the center of everyone's data ecosystem inside of businesses. And one of the things that I started realizing is like, why is this happening? Because most these CRM systems are good at doing CRM, but they're not data management platforms for your enterprise. And so our long-term goal, our, our medium goal is to dislodge those CRM systems from being the thing that controls the destiny of a data, data hygiene and, and data management within an enterprise. So that's the immediate, I'd say, three to five-year goal. And so getting enough customers to understand that this is the way you do these things. The long-term Uber goal for Syncary is to enable this, this whole new paradigm of data management inside of enterprises that's not just about controlling your intra-company data and getting that you know, worked out and perfect, but we think of going out and saying, how do we solve the next generation of data problems that happen? So this whole notion of intercompany data exchange that we want to power. And once we have enough of an install base, we have the, the, the platform to be able to extend it out to where we can solve a lot of these joint sellings, joint partnering, joint go-to-market things that are happening inter-company that we want to help not just solve the intra-company problems, but solve those problems that are happening across larger enterprises that are working more closely together. So that that to me is like a you know, five to 10 year out vision of being able to be that player. Um, but that's kind of where we're headed. Nilesh, question for you. So I'm curious, to what degree does that long-term vision play into your pitch to potential hires for your team? If not, what are the kind of key points that you hammer home to talented engineers that have lots of choices about where they might work and, and why they should come to you guys in a syncery? I think for talented engineers, uh, founders having a great vision always is uh, a big plus, right? But having said that, uh, uh, the way you pitch to engineers or talent in general really depends on the stage uh, of the company uh, you're at. 
so we started when we started this journey uh, nine months back. Uh, we didn't have anything other than uh, you know uh, just a glimpse into what we were uh, going to build. Uh, so at that point in time, the pitching works only purely because of the brand value that you as a founder uh, carry, right? So uh, in your uh, uh, history, in your past experience, uh, you would have built a sphere of influence. Uh, you know, people who you respect and people uh, uh, who respect you. Uh, that's the ecosystem uh, from which you try to draw at the early stages. And that's what that's exactly what we did. Uh, you know, we were able to assemble a crack team uh, using that sphere of influence uh, that we had built over uh, uh, the period of uh, time. And then uh, right now we are in phase two where uh, the vision for the company plays a much larger role uh, because, uh, you know, we are hiring uh, from a much broader pool uh, so you'll have to be able to convince them that this is a long game here. We are here to stay, uh, you know, execute on a vision that's exciting both uh, from a business point of view, but also from a technology point of view. So, uh, you know, those are some of the pieces that I hit when I'm pitching, uh, you know, Syncery to uh, talented people. Little change of pace, but I think it's obligatory as we're speaking on April 2nd here. Coronavirus is raging out there. Nick, how has that impacted what you're doing at Syncery? Yeah, I mean, that's a twofold question. The first one is um, we set ourselves up to be 100% remote from day one. And this comes from some past experience with another company that I built where spending a ton of money on office space early on is, is, is paramount to, you know, to almost waste in my mind. And so that's not to say you don't have to have FaceTime with folks, but it's just to say that, you know, being able to, to, to operate remotely and being able to build a culture that can operate remotely to have people respect one another in, in, a, in a different way when you're working remotely um, is the things that we set off to do. And so from that perspective, as this corona came out, we were unaffected. But uh, around January, when I started seeing and hearing more about what was going on in other countries, I started thinking this is going to be bad. And so we went off and started a fundraising event, uh, probably a little bit ahead of schedule, I'd say. And we're able to, uh, and I'm, just, I'm, I'm actually proud to report that Tuesday we closed our, our latest round uh, and we got that done just in time for, you know, where we find ourselves in here in April 2nd. So I think what that did for us is position as well, not just for weathering out the storm, but also to being able to come out of this as, um, a, a leader in doing this 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 type of of synchronization and data management inside of enterprises. So um, yeah, so those are the two things that I I focused greatly on, or because of what was going on. Nilesh, same question for you. How has it impacted your day to day, or how do you anticipate that it will uh, over the next handful of months? I, I think I'll uh, tail on to what Nick said here. So, you know, we were destined to be a remote first company right off the bat. Uh, so that helped a lot. Uh, we used to have, uh, you know, uh, FaceTime interactions, uh, uh, you know, in office uh, before that for some time of the week. Uh, that obviously, at least in Bay Area, has completely stopped now uh, with the shelter in. Uh, uh, majority of our uh, engineering uh, is in, in, in the Bay Area. And we are trying to compensate by, you know, being very explicit about communication, uh, using all tools available at our disposal uh, to make sure that uh, there is one-on-one uh, -on -one communication, uh, FaceTime over, uh, you know, Zoom and Hangouts, making sure that we 
are explicitly uh, uh, making uh, this uh, a real thing by uh, taking uh, actions to enhance our communications uh, more than ever. In fact, we have water cooler channels uh, in Slack where uh, we generally talk about everything in the kitchen sink other than uh, work. So these kind of practices have helped us elevate a little bit of that. Uh, but some face time once in a while always uh, is a great thing to have. I, I got to say, Nilesh, I mean, right now, me personally on, on this topic, I've got a, a little bit of cabin fever. I mean, I'm, I'm uh, four weeks now and have not having gone anywhere, I mean, outside of the house. And so yeah. uh, it's it's impactful just even psychologically to yourself, not to mention what it must be doing to people in your company, even if they're already used to working remote. But uh, on the flip side of that is I have nothing else to do, so I just work a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a perfect note to end on. So Nick and Nilesh, thanks so much for taking some time today. Thank you so much for having us. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Taking Notes with Next Gen Venture Partners. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. To learn more about us or to hear all of our past podcasts, please go to nextgenvp.com. And now for some important disclaimers. The information contained in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to purchase any securities. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Any performance or projections contained herein may be significantly affected by future events. Any opinions, assumptions, assessments, statements, or the like regarding future events or which are forward-looking constitute only subjective views and beliefs, should not be relied on, and are subject to change due to a variety of factors, including fluctuating market conditions and economic factors.